the top players and legends to the very best analysts around the world from wherever the beautiful game is played. This is BTP. Now, we're talking football. Yes, hello folks, welcome to a special episode of Beyond the Pitch. I'm your host as always, and I must say, someone, I'm delighted to be joined here with the magnificent Kieran McGuire from the Price of Football, who is probably one of the most in-demand individuals, uh, primarily for a number of reasons. First of all, because of being a football fan and how that has changed from being someone that just showed up to watch your club or watch the Montevideo or whatever your interaction was with a football club, to now being someone that needs to understand finance, to needs to understand the nuance of finance in a way that most laymen's don't understand, this guy has been absolutely priceless for so many fans, for so many people like myself, all the United fans and fans of lots of different football clubs to really understand what's going on. One of the things I love about Kieran is he's very fair, he's very balanced and um, doesn't always say what you, want, what you want him to say or you think he should say, he says what's right. And I always appreciate that. Uh, absolutely honoured to have him on the, on the podcast. Kieran, how are you doing, mate? I'm grand, thanks, Phil. Thanks very much for the invite. Uh, I hope you're doing okay in there in the States. Uh, from our from our side of the pond, it looks a bit crazy over there. <laughs> it's it's worse than what it looks. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's what living in, in in LA. It's it's always crazy, Open but uh, it's more amplified now. But um, I'm delighted to take the time to join me on the show. I've, I've, I've obviously every transfer window, the Glazer ownership comes into focus. Because it's what it gets amplified, right? Most of it doesn't really happen throughout the rest of the season, not as much anyway, because we're focused on games. But then we're reminded of the limitations of this ownership. But there's some things that have happened, Karen, during COVID that I want to ask you about um, and get your opinion. Notably, I want to start with the fact that Manchester United borrowed 140 million of a revolving credit facility in May. Uh, the club have explained to me this was for cash flow. This was to meet obligations. They had things like uh, broadcaster rebates that were around 20 million and in, 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 in the third quarter of the results, their fiscal year obviously doesn't run annually, but um, the third quarter results that were published uh, a few months ago detail some of this. Edward would also said the biggest hit would come this quarter. Um, obviously, United fans are trying to understand 140 million being borrowed to meet uh, your obligations. Where does money come from transfers? How, how concerned should United be about that? United fans be about that? Um, I think first and foremost, you, you want United to continue to exist. And of course. the club do have a responsibility in, in terms of its long-term survival. If you take a look at Manchester United's wage bill, we're talking £25 million a month. So normally, this time of year is very, very lucrative for a club such as United. You've just had the season ticket renewals. Uh, Sky and BT tend to put down a big wadge of money at the at the end of it would have been normally at the end of the 2019-20 season, and that gets put in the pot, and that's used to pay the wages over the summer, and that's also used, of course, to fund the the transfer market because Sky needs something to talk about, um, and that and that hasn't happened to the same degree. Clearly, we don't know when football is going to return, so. Um, you know, I, I don't know how United's ins and outs, but I suspect a lot of fans will have deferred uh, in terms of their season tickets. Right. United make £100 million a year, just or £110 million a year from, from ticket sales. So, yeah, that's, that's a lot of money. Um, it, they, they've also got, historically, they've, they've, they, they, they had a model since Sir Alex retired 
of spending a lot of money on players, but the majority of those deals were, were players bought on credit. And if you keep going up in terms of the amount that you buy on credit, then you, you reach a point, a bit like, you know, a bit like my missus and the credit card. Um, you know, I guess, well, actually, it's, it's looking a little bit steep. So what United have done over the course of the last 12 months or so is that they've effectively tried to pay down their credit card bill a little bit. And they were quite successful in that. And then COVID hit them. And, and yeah, they weren't expecting that. So um, they, United's finances are solid. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, but when I look at them compared to other clubs in the Premier League, they they are they are solid. The club's going to continue in existence, um, but it's looking to cut back on on what we refer to as discretionary spending. Now you you've got some things which you've got to pay. So, you, so you've got to pay the wages of Marcus Rashford, of Ollie, of Harry Maguire, and so on. They don't have a choice with regards to that. And there's some things that you don't have to pay and. and that that really hits us as far as the transfer market is concerned. So I, I was on a show. Am, am, am I allowed to? Am I allowed to mention Liverpool on your show? Of course, man. Go ahead. Absolutely. <laughs> right. I, I was on a very similar show to this last week uh, in respect of Liverpool fans, and they were equally anxious. Club's not been reinvesting. They've just achieved you know, winning the Premier League, and, and they were now concerned that they were going to lose momentum. Um, and, and the reason for this is simply because Manchester United and Liverpool, they don't know when their next match is taking place before a paying audience. And they're being cautious. And I, I can understand it from a, from a business point of view because they don't have the same business model that we see in the cases of Chelsea and Manchester City. Uh, you know, Roman Abramovich sold one of his spare businesses a few weeks ago for fifteen hundred million pounds. Now he can put a bit of that into Chelsea, mm-hmm. and, and that will allow Chelsea to pay the bills. We know that as far as Manchester City were concerned, they actually have not spent a lot of money over the course of the last twelve months because they didn't know whether they were playing in Europe next season or not. Yeah, they they were genuinely gen, genuinely concerned that they could have been kicked out of Europe, and that would have had a huge impact upon them. As a result of the the CAS verdict, they've now got more money than they thought they would sure. have. And that's allowed them. They've signed Torres. They've signed um, uh, Ake and so on. Where does that leave United and Liverpool? Well, it leaves them in a similar position that they're being cautious. It's not that they don't. I mean, my gut reaction, it's not that they don't want to spend, but they don't want to spend and leave themselves in a sticky financial situation. So if you're borrowing 140 million uh, for cash flow purposes, right, <clears throat> to meet your obligations, uh, you need to have the ability, I would imagine if they want to send Alexis Sancho and what have you, it'll just be financed. Um, high concerning is that when you're looking at future projections of income where it's completely uncertain where you're going, look, we don't know, they're losing four to five million per game, right, at Old Trafford, which is a big concern, of course. Yeah. Uh, when you're, if you need to borrow this now in May, and to be fair, you need to be impeccable during this pandemic, I have to say. Um, high concerning is that for the future, if you needed to say, how long is that 140 million going to last? Right. Well, let, let's just take a look at that 140 million. They've not borrowed 140 million straight up, is my understanding, mm-hmm. is that they've been given an overdraft facility where they can effectively gotcha. go overdrawn up to 140 million. So, 
I would imagine that United will have borrowed quite a bit of that over the course of the summer. They will be hoping that football will be returning in October. Yeah, that, that's, uh, I'm, as you know, uh, I'm, I'm a Brighton season ticket holder. We mm-hmm. had a, a town hall meeting with the, with the chief executive. Yeah, a load of fans turned up on a, on a Zoom meeting. And he said, yeah, the aim is broadly the start of October, but only a third of you are going to get in. Right. So United were losing you know, four or five million pounds a match uh, in terms of revenue from every match that takes place at Old Trafford. Uh, behind closed doors, if we have this progress, then if, they, if they've got 20,000 people turning up, then they're down 3 million a match. It's it's still a lot. You multiply 3 million by yeah. 15 or 20 games, that's a lot of money. Um, so so, so that's, that's the approach that they've taken. Um, they did find, they, they, they have spent um, in this... This year, well, last season, they spent 162 million on players. So that was you know, Bruno, Fernandez, mm. Harry Maguire, Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Um, and normally, what United have managed to do, uh, they, when other clubs have been selling to them, the other clubs have said, well, here's a player, we want a decent price. United have said, we'll give you a decent price but we'll spread that payment over three or four years. Mm-hmm. Leicester didn't play ball with that. Leicester wanted nearly all of the money up front. So that was a big hit for United last summer. If you look at Wan-Bissaka, um, and, and I've looked at the Palace accounts, um, Wan-Bissaka has been paid for in two instalments by United, 22.5 million up front, 22.5 million last month. So that's 45 million that's gone out. So there's a lot of money that has gone out. Um, in terms of the Lukaku deal, um, United wanted to get rid of Lukaku. You know, clearly he, he wasn't quite in, 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 in what, what Ollie was looking for. And therefore, United have said to, to Milan, we'll give you reasonably generous credit terms. So a lot of money going out in terms of transfers, not huge amounts have come, come in. Um, if you take a look since Sir Alex retired, and I've got the figures here in front of me, United have spent £1.2 billion on players. Now, you're a United fan, Phil. You know, I'm, I'm just a nerd with a big calculator. You'll be able to tell me that some of those transfers are hits and some of those transfers, you've had a few misses. Yeah. Now, that's not for me to get involved with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, sure, I, just, I just crunch the numbers. Uh, you say they spent 1.2 billion on players. A lot of those players ended up being sold uh, for uh, less than what we had bought them for. But isn't that spend always the best way to look at this to get a grasp of what's being spent? Because I speak to other financial people and they say with the way these deals are amortized, it's not always the best way to look at how a club is spending. Is that the best metric to look at um, investment? Um, net spend over a single season is a load of rubbish. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at it over five or six years, then mm-hmm. it gives you sort of a rough feel. So if you take a look at United, their net spend since Sir Alex retired, 900 million. So you rightly said, yeah, yeah they've had the likes of Di Maria. Sanchez was a disaster. Mkhitaryan wasn't great either. Yeah, I'm sure you can name them. Yeah, it's, it's not for sure. me to, to comment mm-hmm. upon it. Um, and I, I, I work in Liverpool. Um, and one of the things that I observe about Liverpool Football Club, where I think historically 
since FSG have come in, they have focused on player value uh, in terms of doing their data analysis. United are playing catch-up. And and I think United have probably reached a point where they are starting to catch-up now. But in the four or five years before that happened, especially when you've got the revolving door in terms of managers, you know, Moyes, yeah, Mourinho, yeah, Mourinho, and, and so, yeah. yeah, of course, Van Hal and everything, yeah, of course. So, so, and the problem is, every time you change a manager, the new guy comes in, got new ideas, and for a club such as, such as United, which had a very gradual approach under Sir Alex, um, you know, you were you were different managers with different philosophies, and they were saying, get rid of him. Yeah, you've only got to look at the likes of Schneiderlin and Co, who who didn't like, you know, didn't fit in with Mourinho from day one. And, and that cost United money. So to a certain extent, there are legacy issues, which United are in, having to deal with in 2020. You throw in the pandemic on top of that, and they, they've not got as much money to spend as perhaps fans would like. At the same time, you know, I, I've, I've lived in Manchester most of my life. Um, I'm not a United fan, but there's a lot of pride in Manchester at the fact mm-hmm. that United have done the right thing because they're one of the biggest private sector employers Absolutely. in the city. And you know, as an outsider, would I rather they kept jobs for their staff or spend an extra 20 million on a signing? You know, for me, as, an, as a non-fan, I'd rather go the money goes into, the, goes into Manchester rather than uh, you know, an agent or a player or another goes with it, Sam. That goes with it. Listen, as as you were saying on this, you know, that has have uh, handled this pandemic exceptionally well. Um, they've got some wonderful people that work for the football club who do genuinely care about their community and care about how United interface with the community. And I completely agree with you. I'd far rather see United do what United have done rather than what Arsenal have done, and 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 lay off a lot of low level staff who really need the money and uh, not everybody at Manchester United is bringing home massive amounts of money. So, okay, so, so they, they've drawn down on that credit facility, but uh, taking 100, from what, what, what is explained to me, they drew down on the credit facility, we took 140 yeah. of the 150. So given the projections, how long, let the, the two, two questions, A, given the projections, um, how long before you think United would need to borrow again? Um, to meet where they'd be in a cash flow situation. And given that, um, you would imagine one of the biggest obstacles this summer to United spending is what they have to put down on a player. Because obviously that's straight cash and that seems to be the biggest impediment to what's going on with Jaden Sancho with Borussia Dortmund. Um, so I think uh, that $140 million, given what United's tab is right now, even before they, they send a player, before they send a player, uh, how long is that 140 million last before you know they're in a situation where you need to draw down on it again? And with the revolving credit facility, does that mean they have the ability to, to borrow that every year? What does the revolving part mean? Well, the, the, re- the revolving is the sense that um, every year it's assessed. Okay. So it's a, it's a bit like me gotcha. with my overdraft facility at the bank. Mm-hmm. So I've, let's say I've got a £2,000 overdraft limit. Every year I get an email from the bank. Yeah, you you you've you've not been you've not been a bad lad, or you have been a bad lad, and, yeah. and we'll keep it as it is. So so it tends to be renewed uh, in that basis. So it, it's it shouldn't be too much of an issue. Looking at United's cash balance, um, last summer United had three hundred and eight million in the bank. 
Okay. Now, they have used some of that since then, and that cash balance has fallen quite significantly. But the reason why it's fallen is mainly due to the fact that United have, A, signed these players um, where they've been playing, paying more cash up front, and B, they've been paying some of the instalments on previous transfers. So I think United are better off than the vast majority of clubs in the Premier League. They're not as well off as City or Chelsea because, simple reason, they've not got sugar daddy for owners. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's a completely different model. As, yes. um, but you know, I, I've, I've seen some of the other clubs. You know, Burnley were genuinely squeaky bum as, as to whether they were going to get to September without being in trouble. I think lots of the smaller sides, which I know United fans don't see as being an issue for United because... Your, your competition is against the big six or really the big five. You know, I think we can mm-hmm. discount at least one of Arsenal or Spurs this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, and that's, that's the way it's operating. Um, will United need to borrow again? I, I suspect that they've done their sums and they hope that they won't have to because they'll be able to draw down on the fact that they do already have some cash. They've got the overdraft facility. They're anticipating some money coming in from October in terms of ticket sales, and the sponsors are paid. Now, you know, lots of people laugh at United's sponsorship agreements. You know, and we know that they've got their Japanese tractor tire deal right. and things of this nature, but actually those are proving to be gold dust this particular year because those sponsors, they're still seeing United, you know, as far as they're concerned, they're seeing United play on the television over the course of the summer. Um, in, in the Europa League, we've got the season starting in two or three weeks. They, they're still getting value for money. So unless those companies themselves go bust, as we saw with West Ham's uh, sleeve sponsor, uh, Southampton have just lost their shirt sponsor. There's five clubs in the championship here in England. We've got no shirt sponsors. You know, United's deal with Chevrolet is, is looking fantastic. It, you know, I appreciate it's not got long left. But in the short term, and I think we've got to focus on the next 12 months, I think United's finances are solid. They don't want to increase the risk in relation to the club by going out. And it's not a case of not being able to buy Jordan Sancho or whoever it's going to be. If his fees are 110 million, as you you mentioned yourself a few few minutes ago, it's the terms. If, mm-hmm. if the money can be spread over a reasonable amount of time and also United can perhaps get rid of some of the fringe players, take those off the wage bill, then yeah, that frees up money for, for Sancho's wages and things of that nature. Um, on the advertising thing, I think Chevrolet expires at the end of this season. Nick, one more year yeah. left. So yeah. I would imagine that are, are, are talking to suitors right now about, uh, about that. Is this the best time, considering everything that's going on, to be looking for a sponsor, given that you would imagine if they'd have done this a year ago, it would have been much more opportune time? Um, and, and what is reasonable to anticipate? Because you would imagine advertising revenues are going to drop, considering companies' revenues are going to drop. You're right. I have no problems with the sponsors, personally. I don't care how many sponsors they get. It means nothing to me. Um, and, and I understand that um, you know it is important for the club financially. Um, is it is this pandemic going to punish United in, in looking for a, a huge shirt sponsor, given that uh, a lot of guys are going to be gone shy? Yeah, I, I, yeah, with the benefit of hindsight, I'm sure United would rather they'd signed up a deal 12 months ago. Mm-hmm. 
But you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. I, I suspect that United had probably had two or three suitors who were you know very very interested. Um, I, I, I spoke to one person that was involved in in a Premier League shirt sponsorship deal. The club was looking for twelve million a year, which is a fraction of what United are getting, of course, from from uh, Chevrolet. And, and they ended up settling for about six and a half because the market has fallen. Um, so I think from United's point of view, perhaps they'll be looking for um, a shorter term deal unless they can get a really good price from someone. Um, uh, with, with a view that when uh, yeah, we, we're all hoping that we're going to get a vaccine, we're going to get some form of progress with relate, relation to the pandemic. And then I think for a, for the elite clubs, and I think you've got to separate out the elite clubs such as United, Liverpool, Chelsea, City and so on, Barcelona, that, those type of clubs, they will be able to still get top dollar prices. Um, I think it's going to be a lot harder for the smaller clubs. In the short term, will United be guaranteed to get at least the 53 million they get from Chevrolet? I'm, I'm not certain that is the case. But it could be that United themselves, they've got a, a good feel for their value. They know they're getting 53 million from Chevrolet this year. So, so why not just stick around? It was far more important that United qualified for next year's Champions League than actually signing off a deal for 2021-22. Yeah, I've got a couple of questions that I want to ask you about that. Um, how highly leveraged are United right now? Is it, a, is it something United fans should be concerned about? No, I mean, there's... there's there's one, it's one thing having debt, but what's more important is can you make your debt payments? So if you take a look at Spurs, you know, Spurs have now recently borrowed six, I think it's 637 million to fund the stadium. And they've now been to the Bank of England here and they've borrowed another 150 million. That's only an issue if you've got to be repaying the debt next year. If you take a look at what United have, United have interest-only mortgages, in effect. So provided they can make those mortgage payments and the interest on those uh, deals is much, much lower than it was when the, when the Glazers took over and they had those mm. PIK loans at 14 and a quarter percent. I think it went up to 16 and a quarter percent at one stage. So you know, 13 years down the line from when the Glazers uh, first arrived, United are probably paying you know, a quarter of the interest each year. Um, but in terms of income, they're getting more than twice the income coming in. So um, the debts will only be an issue is when they come up for a renewal or when they come up to expire and have a repayment date, if the banks turn around and say, we want our money back. My experience of banks, uh, especially sort of the nature of the loans that United have, is the banks are actually, you know, if, if United say, well, we'll pay you two and a half percent for the next five years, from a bank's point of view, United are pretty gold standard. You know, they, they've got big income streams. They, they are a, a, a global brand that the banks will probably say, all we're going to do is that we're going to roll over the repayment date. You just keep us paying us that, what is it, that 20 million pounds a year in interest. And we're quite happy with that situation. And, and you know, it's, it's a huge sum of money, 20 million pounds. But mm -hmm. as far as United are concerned, it, it's relatively insignificant when you compare it to their wage bill, which is 300. Uh, you, realistically, for United fans this summer, given what we, we know about the finances, uh, this is 
you know, what, what really translates to what football fans particularly care about. What is realistic, do you think, for what you know would, would spend this coming summer? It, a, a lot will depend upon the players that they're trying to sign. If they are trying to sign elite players from clubs in Europe who have strong finances themselves, then I think they're going to face a bit of an issue. Because if, if, those, if those clubs don't need the cash, then they can still demand what they would have been demanding um, you know, 12 months ago. Uh, if you talk to people in Portugal, Portugal, as, as far as the, the Euro European football market is concerned, is the biggest seller of players as a proportion of their income. Um, I, I suspect Bruno Fernandes this summer would have gone for around about half the fee that United paid for him in January, simply because Portuguese clubs are under pressure to sell because nobody's prepared to lend to them. So you have to take a look. If you take a look at Manchester City signing Torres uh, for 20 million, he, didn't, he doesn't even particularly want to come to City. It was a case of it was his local club. They, are, they have genuine financial problems. They were having a fire sale. Dortmund, don't have a, Dortmund aren't in a fire sale situation, so therefore they can afford to resist. They lost 40 million in their published accounts, but they're still in good they, shape, they right? Lost, yeah, yeah, they lost 40 million, but that's 40 million in one year. If you take a look at Dortmund over the five previous right. years, they were making a profit. So you know, it, it's a bit like you or I, if, if I've been saving up money and I lose my job for three or six months, I can use my savings to see me right. through. Um, remember Dortmund were also able to go out and buy uh, Bellingham from Birmingham mm -hmm. for around about 30 million. They signed Haaland in January. You know, there's no indication that they have to sell. And that's why they're playing a hard ball with United. It's not a case of that they won't sell. It's, it's, it's a case of these deals take an awful lot of effort to get over the line. Um, so with the qualification, last question, Karen, I appreciate you doing this. With the qualification for the Champions League, the two-part question here. So at the end of the season, do United get a lump sum payment from the Premier League that we haven't seen in their accounts yet for finishing third? And do they get money up from, from UEFA for qualifying for the Champions League? Uh, and then the last part of this question is, when you qualify for the Champions League, what that's going to result in for United is, an, is a higher wage bill because I'm sure they've got clauses in their wages that says if you don't qualify for the Champions League, you get paid 20% less. I'm sure there's bonuses to be paid. I'm sure the wage bill will, will, will jump because they're going to the Champions League. So does that mean that still, I mean, does that cancel out any potential profit that you make for qualifying for the Champions League? Um, so I guess what I'm asking is, should, should United anticipate, United fans anticipate the club getting paid a lot of money for, for finishing third and for, for qualifying for the Champions League or will it be cancelled out by the uh, contract increases? I, I, in, in my opinion, uh, in the net position is that United are significantly better off. You get an extra two and a half million pounds for each individual place you finish in the, in mm -hmm. the Premier League. So if you compare six to third, that's immediately another 10 million as far as United are concerned. Had they failed to be in the top four um, at the end of last season. Uh, I believe Adidas had a clause in their contract, which reduces their contribution by 25%. So therefore that's 18 or 19 million. Um, if you take a look at the Champions League itself, if you compare its money to that of the Europa League, UEFA's distributions are broadly, 80% goes to the Champions League, 
20% goes to the Europa League. So United um, were looking to make, in terms of prize money, somewhere in the region of around about 30 to 35 million euros. This, this is, let's just ignore COVID for the moment. Um, had they, uh, had they be, if they're in the, the, the Champions League next season, um, they'll be part of, they'll, they'll qualify automatically for the group stages. Um, and from that, they can easily make that 30, 40 million. And then things start to ramp up as you go into the knockout phase. Um, but it's not just that. Um, and, and a lot will depend on the position um, in terms of whether United are playing in front of. It's, it's not actually the regular fans. I know it's, people don't want to hear this. Is are they, are they managed to fill in those hospitality boxes? Because that's where the money is made. Yeah. Um, you, you can normally, if you take, certainly I'm, I'm aware of um, uh, speaking to people at Arsenal and uh, Bayern Munich, is that they make as much money from the hospitality bo boxes for a home match as they do from all of the season ticket holders put together. Now, right. you know, this isn't a criticism of United, but, uh, you know, Old Trafford is it, creaking a bit. Uh, right. You know, I, th I think it, if United had a brand new stadium, um, they really would be able to exploit that particular market. I think United are constrained to a certain extent. That Old Trafford, uh, you know, it, it has been updated on a regular basis, but it's it's sort of a bit like built on Lego bricks, mm -hmm. uh, a bit here and a bit there. Um, so from United's perspective, can they fill those hospitality boxes? And you can command top dollar if you're in the Champions League because that's when you're playing Juve, Bayern, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Liverpool mm -hmm. and so on. Um, whereas, due, due respect, you know, you've seen the calibre of the clubs that United have played against in, in Europe, in yeah, the Europa League, and, and trying to... You know, and United's commercial team do a pretty damn good job, but you, you can't command grade A prices when you've got Austria's third best team from last season as your opponents on a Thursday night. Totally so so all of those things will... Con so United could be better off to the tune of a hundred million pounds next season, um, as a result of qualifying for the Champions League. We will see what happens, Karen. Mate, I am so grateful to you for this fantastic analysis. Always balanced and fair, and I appreciate everything. It makes things much more uh, makes makes much more sense to me, and I'm sure to everyone else listening to this. I wish you all the best, mate, and I'll definitely love to get you back on again shortly. And good luck to your beloved Brighton. Thank you very much. We're gonna, we, we've got seven centre halves. If you need a spare one, you've got an, an Argentinian Scotchman too, and Alexis McAllister. We, 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 we've got yeah, we've got an Argent yeah, an Argentinian with a ginger beard. That, that is such a scary, <laughs> scary sight. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you may be losing Lewis Dunk as well. So hopefully, hopefully no, he, not. He, he signed. A, he signed a new contract two hours ago. Oh, did he? Five-year contract. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. And uh, Aaron Connolly looks like a, a young talent. So uh, Aaron Connolly's be good. Yeah. If, if United want a, a good centre-half to play alongside Harry Maguire, the lad to go for is this young lad, Ben White. I've been reading a best, lot about best. him. He, he would be an absolute snip. I've been reading yeah. a lot about him. Yeah. Um, your grandfather's come on and a good job to say. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's a football club that plays good football. And... Uh, other than up until a season or two ago, it was a nightmare for United to go. <laughs> Some yes, bad was, results yeah. there. And so, uh, well, well, thank ne you. Next time you, yeah, next time you're across, 
come down and watch a match. I with would them. genuinely love that. I really would. I really would. Uh, I've actually I've been in Brighton before. I've stayed down there, and um, so I would love to do that, mate. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Kim. Okay. Much, much appreciated, mate. Take care. See okay. Ya. Cheers, Phil.